0: Hi, welcome back to Eight Words or Less. This is the podcast series that distills leadership and management books into, surprise, surprise, Eight Words or Less. Some of you know me already. I'm Sammy, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm James. I'm your other host. This is a bonus episode where we're fortunate to be joined by Amna Alaouais, who was kind enough to recommend my book, Time for Humanity, for the podcast. Amna is the chief executive and registrar of the DIFC courts in Dubai. She played a major role in the development of the DIFC courts, particularly in creating the pro bono programme, the first of its kind in the Middle East. Amna is an avid supporter of women's progress in the UAE, has been recognised by the International Bar Association as one of the top three young lawyers in the world, was listed in the top 30 most influential women in the Arab world, And has recently become part of the Dubai Future Council's initiative under His Highness Sheikh Hamdan bin Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, Crown Prince of Dubai, with the mandate to help shape the future of the Emirates. Amna, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Sami. I'm James.
0: Thank you for being with us. So, Amna, I guess the first question is, why my book?
1: Well, uh, Sami, when you approached me like a month ago, um, I was first of all flattered that you thought of me. And uh, second of all, I thought that was just... perhaps uh, a trigger for me to start reading. Um, I always wanted to uh, go into reading and make it a habit and become a bookworm. But uh, unfortunately, that never happened. Uh, And I thought, okay, now this is a a really good opportunity. Let me uh, grab it and start uh, with this uh, podcast, which sounds uh, really interesting. And I chose, of course, uh, the book uh, Time for Humanity, uh, at that time, I was always uh, seeing the different uh, posts on social media and different platforms. And as if the, the book was calling on to me to actually read that. Uh, and once you spoke to me, I thought, OK, the book that I'm going to read is Time for Humanity.
0: I love that. So they say all leaders are readers. So is this the beginning, Amna, of your bookworming?
1: I hope so, yes. I believe it's really worth the time and investment to actually read books because it gives you that uh, deeper um, insight of uh, switching off and really understanding who you are.
2: It's great, Amna. Can I also say thank you for for the time? It's a real pleasure to be able to to speak to you today. For me, when I was reading uh, Sami's book, and obviously it's captured in the title, Time for Humanity, about bringing values into the organization. And I really liked there was a sentence there where he was saying that. Often in organizations, there's challenges caused between individuals perceiving themselves and their values differently when they're at home than when they're at work. Um, and Sami says, it's as though we temporarily check out our humanity when we swipe our access cards to enter work and regain human agency when we leave the building. And you know, from that develops this argument that this disconnect can stop companies from being able to develop values. I'm interested as a a leader now, how do you encourage your colleagues to to bring more humanity to their work and by doing so, sort of embed values into the organization?
1: From the outset of the creation of the DIFC uh, and the DIFC courts back in 2004 to 2006, the focus was to really find people who actually are interested in making a difference And as we grew bigger and bigger and the team started to get more diverse with different, you know, people from different backgrounds, different nationalities, we realized that it was really important to embed our true values, uh, values of the leadership and values, of course, of the UAE coming from uh, a nation that is very young, uh, a nation that is um, invested in uh, making sure that the future is as good as the, the past. Um, We were really looking into how uh, to make the team as well understand and not check, uh, you know, check out or as as soon as they go into the office to forget their humanity. Um, So at that point, uh, we decided to really have a a culture uh, shake, uh, we can say, uh, a deep insight on uh, what our people stand for. Uh, and we thought, OK, we need to have uh, proper values that are actually true to us, values that interpret our day-to-day uh, actions rather than superficial um, uh, taglines that sometimes organizations unfortunately create, but they don't really talk to the people and they don't really Uh, have chemistry uh, with the organization. And we were very uh, fortunate to work with Sami and the creation of our values. And we had so many different discussions internally with the staff, uh, with the senior leadership team to understand really what suits us. So we created the three Cs, um, consistency, collaboration, and communication. And they were really uh, suitable for that time uh, where we were just trying to bring the team together as we were growing more and more and growing super fast. Every year we we're looking at how we can refresh and make sure whether the three Cs are still current.
2: And I'm just really interested. So you, you mentioned there about the importance of having values that, that you actually live versus what you can see in some organizations of values at a superficial level. How, how do you ensure that that becomes true? How are you confident that those values are deeply embedded and drive the way that people behave in, in in throughout the organization i liked in the book there was a comment that uh, i believe culture is what happens when no one's looking which i thought captured some of the challenge behind this as a leader so so how do you
1: overcome that challenge it was actually by giving uh, direct feedback um, at some point uh, i was uh, really invested in making sure that we were hearing uh, our people and making sure that they are properly listened to uh, rather than just having, you know, very wide communication uh, spread by emails. We wanted to really uh, become mature in our relationship and having an adult-to-adult relationship rather than the other way around. Um, So in that way, we really were able to capture um, the relevance of the values and making sure that we're always tapping in uh, and checking whether they were really suitable to the uh, circumstances that we were in. And of course, we as leaders, we always need to see whether we are reflecting the right picture for our team members. As they say, uh, you need to um, be a a role model. And whatever you need from your staff to portray, you also need to be that example to them. And really operate uh, as a whole family rather than someone who's giving instructions for people to carry on and uh, do. Uh, It's really important to act and portray our cultural uh, values. You know, and the UAE, uh, under the, the leadership that we have, it's all about having uh, one house uh, and one hand together to build uh, this uh, country. I
0: always loved, Amna, your intentionality around values and culture. I remember every year we would have conversations around, do these still serve us? What are the tweaks we could make? And always asking, what's the conversation that we're not having and giving 360 degree feedback? So what was challenging is what you lent into, but it sounds as if... An idea from His Highness has just continued to grow because of that intentional values and culture that you brought in your leadership.
1: Yes, I totally agree. Sometimes it can be brutal discussions, especially when you uh, open that, um, you know, uh, that doorway for your uh, team to actually come and interrogate you in a way and see whether you're actually providing them with the sense of uh, motivation, the sense of security that they need to actually continue the mission and vision and the strategy and so forth. So I would say it's not an easy um, exercise. Uh, Leaders who are really um, interested in making a difference, they have to invest in the people that they have and in themselves as well. I personally believe it's very important uh, for leaders to even have uh, coaching. We're not, you know, we're not uh, robots, we're not angels. Uh, We end up with our own um, insecurities, with our own complications in life. It's not easy. And for someone to, um, you know, have the best uh, out of them or him or her to actually serve organizations or even to contribute to the nation's uh, foresight, it's really important to invest in ourselves.
0: What are some of the challenges that you faced on your journey?
1: So there are a few uh, challenges, I would say. Uh, first of all, um, uh, I'm very petite, uh, and I'm a, I, and I'm a female. So these two um, uh, characteristics really um, were causing a bit of a complication early days in my career. Um, you know, I'm a lawyer by background, In the early days I was really intimidated when I went into rooms full of men, uh, not even, like older men, men who were uh, really traditional and their um, um, uh, and their op- how they operated, and I would say uh, being a female and very young and petite, uh, that made me feel uh, sometimes like I was this tiny girl sitting in a meeting uh, full of men who had who were very traditional in their thoughts and mindsets. However, like I was always focused on what I was trying to deliver as a human being. So that was uh, one hurdle, and then the other one was uh, that I actually uh, always had. Um, uh, masculine traits. If I can say I'm very feminine, don't worry, uh, but uh, having such uh, masculine traits where I'm very delivery oriented, um, I'm very direct, uh, even though I'm very kind, uh, but people who don't know me might initially think that I might be very tough, uh, very dry, um, someone who really doesn't um, listen or doesn't care about other people's interests, when I'm actually very much uh, focused on uh, how, people, uh, how people actually feel. So I was always bringing my masculine traits, um, like the directness that they get on with that attitude, uh, the alpha traits, I would say. Uh, but then at some point, especially uh, like, let's say, five or six years ago, I realized that it was time for me to unleash my other personality or let's say my other traits that mm. were um, per- perhaps dominant when I was at home with my children. Pretty
2: interesting. Can you talk us through a little bit how you came to discover what your purpose is? Because it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, You know, uh, I don't think I've done it. In fact, I'll be completely vulnerable. I have no idea what my purpose is. Um, And uh, I think it's a journey that a lot of our listeners will be probably uh, going through. I liked, uh, Sam, in the book, you, you talked about pay attention to those moments when you are lit up. When time just flies by and use them to serve the world and and that jumped out of me as as a, a good way to think about this Amna how did you discover your purpose and, and how are you you living that
1: so as you just said, James, like some of us and even myself like i didn't really think of okay amna what's your purpose until I had a coach, uh, and that is one um, you know one of the main fundamentals of having coaching sessions is to understand who true, who you truly are it's not really some people actually give a negative annotation to coaching, uh, which people think it's actually a negative uh, deal or even a negative exercise to do. And it might show badly on a person to have a coach when actually it's very positive. It's a really, um, it's a good investment. It's an amazing investment in uh, in yourself. So when I started having the the initial coaching sessions, one of the beginning uh, exercises were to find what your purpose was. And as you said, like, I never really thought about it, but I knew what lit me, you know, what, what exercises or what incidents made me feel happy and made me feel accomplished. Um, so I would say uh, I always enjoyed making things happen. I always enjoyed uh, starting something from the scratch and seeing it grow in front of me. I always enjoyed uh, counseling, not counseling, but giving advice uh, to people. And I realized at that point, my purpose was to make a difference in the best possible way with uh, an open heart and with positivity surrounded uh, by that approach.
2: Changing tack a tiny bit, Amna, because uh, when we were discussing the book uh, last week, we were having quite an interesting discussion about the future of technology and the tension that exists in, in regards to embracing the advantages of technology and in particular, we're talking about artificial intelligence, but being aware of the risks and the potential downsides. And we were questioning whether enough open discussion was occurring around that. It was really impressive as I was sort of reading around you and your organization to see the investment in digital that's happened. I believe you're going to be the, first, the world's first of blockchain. How do you see the evolution of the way technology is used within your industry?
1: So let me say uh, we're quite lucky that we're such a young cohort. We started, uh, you know, by law 2004, and we're now uh, just uh, a decade uh, old or a bit more than that. So that's a plus for us that we're super young and we really understand the, the value of technology. Um, And we wanted to have a differentiator from other court systems. Uh, We really are passionate about uh, service excellence. Uh, We are passionate about judicial excellence. And you can't get the fullest potential of judicial excellence and service excellence without using innovation. Technology to us is an enabler. It's making things more effective rather than just efficient. It's more making things effective to the users and to the stakeholders including you know the the people who are operating the courts so i would say we are a, a court that's very open to um, advancements in technology and we're quite lucky that we started investment in this area back in the days in 2009 so we have a long history with uh, digital transformation. We were taking it uh, in, in small steps, I would say, rather than embarking a huge, complicated system that will actually make the judges and the, the users uh, intimidated and actually decide not to use it and come to the courts physically. We wanted to create a system that people understood. So, what we did was that we had uh, customer engagement. We are a, very much of a customer uh, centric court. Uh, where we have uh, users committees, uh, you know, of our main stakeholders, the lawyers, the law firms. Uh, We have, uh, you know, mystery shoppers. So we were the first court, I would say, in the world to actually have mystery shoppers. And they really gave us uh, important feedbacks and insights of how we need to change uh, the mindset and perception of people about courts. Courts are normally a scary place to go to. And people always thought that, okay, I I will only go to a court if I've done something totally terrible where actually a court should be looked at at a place where you can find security, a place that you can trust. Uh, We always say that the courts are like doctors. You don't want to go to them, but you want to feel safe and secure that they're there if you need them. And they're there when you need them, and they're operating in the best possible manner. We really want to make sure that we don't go into this wrong perception of just, okay, let's have technology in place because everyone is doing technology and everyone is trying to become digital. Uh, We really need to do it in in a different perspective to see what's the benefit of any technology and whether it will deliver uh, the actual uh, requirements rather than defeating the purpose. And again, brings us back to the topic of the book or the book itself, uh, Time for Humanity. Where we really need to understand wherever we are from, whatever industry we are, at the end of the day, we're serving humanity and we're serving the people who actually utilize these services. So I would say this is really important to always keep it in our our minds. Why are we doing something? And if we're doing it in a specific way, whether it's working for our um, target audience or our users, which are actually human beings.
2: It's interesting to you, especially when you're thinking about the court of the future. I mean, I read, for example, that China has already more than 100 robots in courts that retrieve case histories and, and have specialisms, such as commercial law or labor law. Um, so, you know, when you're looking 30 years from now, do you think there's a risk that actually robots might replace, uh, replace humans? Do you think we will ever get to that stage?
1: So uh, my personal view, let's say, in judging... You need that human human uh, perspective. Uh, judges um, are there to make a judgment, but AI and robots are there to filter and help uh, judges to actually come up with the best outcome. So in my mind, uh, having AI, uh, robots, uh, big data at the end of the day is there to help us achieve our purpose, is there to help us to have the best outcomes for everyone. Human beings are there to make sure that whatever the robots are doing is actually correct. Because in the book as well, uh, there was this idea, if uh, robots are asked to judge in criminal matters, and let's say a person Mm -hmm. was uh, stealing uh, to actually help uh, and give uh, maybe food for their children, um, the robot wouldn't understand. They wouldn't add that extra layer of, you know, humanity uh, they would just judge with the formula that they have. A person stole this thing and the, the, basically the penalty is X. But with that, the human beings, they will be able to add the humanity in terms of, uh, you know, whatever they do.
0: Absolutely. So Amna, what's next on your journey? When you think about the book, it covers a lot of ground. If it's time for humanity, what part of the book or the message are you going to now be zooming in or focusing on in your leadership journey?
1: the idea of awakening the sleeping genius has really struck me hard and i really want to start practicing and understanding how i can connect my uh you know while i'm awake with my subconscious and how i can really dream uh, of what i want to be and what i want to contribute uh, by awakening my 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 genius and everyone needs to read the book to understand what that means uh, and the other aspect is uh, creating uh, systems that move from ecosystems to ecosystems.
0: Wonderful. Well, Amna, you know the deal. If you were to pull out a central message from the book in eight words or less, what would it be?
1: It's time for humanity.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you, Amna. What a pleasure. Thank you, James, and of course, all of our listeners. As always. Use the hashtag eight words or less to share your insights, experiences. And if you've not already done so, click subscribe so you can download our previous episodes and make sure that you never miss a new one. Bye for now.